Welcome back to The Drop. This is Michael Saramella here with a competition update. In just a few days, the last event of the 2022 Challenger Series is set to begin, and there are 15 CT spots on the line. Or nine if you discount the six people that are already qualified, but Stace and I are going to get all into that, including the forecast, the cut line, who's in, who's out, some predictions, winners, dark horses, and everything you need to know. So let's rip in. Good morning and aloha to a very special Hawaiian edition of the Drusp. Mikey C, how are you? That is, uh, we got Haliva. Last Challenger Series event of the season. Um, we have people who are looking to qualify on the men's and women's sides. As a reminder, 10 men will go up from the Challenger Series to the Championship Tour in 2023, and five women will make that same ascension. The event runs from November 26th to December 7th, and we can see a long-term forecast. So we know that the first day or the first two days, there's going to be this northeast swell which is not ideal for Haliva. It doesn't really get in there around the sort of like bend of the North Shore and wrap in that well. There will be some waves, but they will be probably inconsistent and not the best angle. Later in the event window, we have two smallish mid-sized Northwest swells, which are a much better angle, but they don't have that much size. So best case scenario, I think we're going to see some sort of lowers style Haliva. I don't think it's going to be tiny tiny but it's definitely not going to be guys on six sixes oh that's a shame because the warm-up clips out there at the moment looking like the best six to eight foot performance wave on the planet but uh nevertheless with what's at stake i still think the uh the entertaining is um coffee's still kicking in mikey the entertainment is going to be fantastic and uh it's a great time of day for uh, australians to tune into surfing you can generally get up pretty early in the morning and chuck on a coffee and uh, watch some crew try and fulfill their dreams. Nothing better. Yeah, well, it's interesting because you have so many, like there's 96 men in this event, in every Challenger Series event, and there's a ton of women as well. But when you look at the rankings, there's actually not that much room to move. Like I think on the women's side, even if a lot of women were to win this event, they would not jump into qualifying position. Pretty much any guy who's been on the Challenger Series the whole year, if they win this event, they will put themselves above the current qualification line. But who knows what's going to happen with that once everybody surfs and potentially betters their situation. But, like, for instance, if we were to look at the men, we know for a fact that Leo Firavanti, Rio Wida, and Ryan Callanan are all qualified. For me, I think that's also going to stand for Ramsey Bukayam, Ian Gentile, Liam O'Brien, Maxime Houssineau. And those seven guys in my mind are, don't really have to worry about anything. The three spots that I think are really up for grabs on the men's side are Joao Chianca in eighth, Zeke Lau in ninth, and Dylan Moffat in tenth. How are you feeling about that? Who do you think is sort of like that last safe guy? Yeah, I agree. I think, you know, you, you can only expect a handful of guys like maximum to, to, to climb up over one another because those four man heats are so wild. Eventually once it gets to like the quarters, they just start knocking each other out. So it's not like, you know, four people in my mind aren't going to go from outside the qualification line to in. It's just very, very, uh, unlikely. Um, so yeah, I'd have to agree with you. I think that, um, yeah, all the way down to seventh would be would be safe, and then and then those other guys have got a bit of room to do to secure their position. One thing I will say, 
Credit where it's due, the WSL's Instagram has been great with the pre-hype of what crew would need to either secure their spot or to qualify from outside uh, the range. And they've done like a series of, you know, which Aussies can get in, which Hawaiians can get in, which Americans can get in. It's been it's been great. So um, those estimates, though, I would say are, are very um, safe estimates. They, they, they have even got people like, you know, what does Ramsey need to do to qualify? And it's like, well, he's on. There's, there's no way that he's falling off. Well, they're not trying to have another San Francisco moment, I think. <laughs> Why not? We're still talking about it. <laughs> That's a very good point. So I actually haven't seen those, but I did a little bit of rudimentary math myself. So correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't think any of the men below the cut line can get in with anything less than a quarter, the way that the numbers work out. Because for instance, you have Dylan Moffat in 10th spot with 14,710 points. You have Morgan Sibillic in 11th spot with 14,705 points. So five points separate them, but because Morgan would have to drop a 3,300 from his scoreline in order to improve, which is a ninth, he needs to get a fifth in this event to make any sort of advancement whatsoever. So he's in a bit of a pickle. He's done himself sort of a disservice by being so consistent all year. You know, a ninth is a pretty decent result on the Challenger Series where you got 96 people in an event, but they're kind of killing him right now. Yeah, I'm even going to have to sort of make it even harder for Morgan there. And a fifth at Halieva is actually third in a semifinal. So he's got to pretty much go the whole way if he wants to improve his situation. Now, the points breakdown in Hawaii does look a little different than your uh, regular Challenger Series event. Um, I haven't seen a PDF for this year's um, breakdown of points for those minor placings because in this event you can get sevenths and thirteenths, whereas you can't actually get that in uh, you know a regular CS where it goes to man on man. These events they stay four people the whole way to the final. So Morgan might be able to make a semi and get fourth and and improve, but but long story short, he'll he'll actually have to make like one more heat than he normally would to get that same sort of points uh, breakdown improvement. Yeah, I think he'll have to make it through five heats if he wants to make the semis, which is a shit ton, especially in conditions that look like they'll probably be slow. In my mind, this is going to become a bit of a wave-catching contest. In these heats at Haleiwa, you usually have like one or two sets that are clearly the best when it's on the smaller side, and the people who get them generally win. So, you know, a lot of these guys, they surf really similarly, like, Morgan Sibillic, obviously, like he—you'd imagine he'd be a really good surfer at Haleiwa because he's powerful. He's low to his board. He's just sort of meat and potatoes, which is exactly what that wave calls for. And it's just going to be a matter of him being smart enough to get the best waves in every heat, which is something he's good at. So he should be going into this with as much confidence as possible. But at the same time, you got to make five heats, and that means not making many mistakes along the way. Yeah, definitely. Small, inconsistent Haleiwa is the absolute kryptonite of most people it takes a lot of nerve to to sit there and wait because it it, it just gets to a point where it, it actually ability on the surfboard just becomes the least important thing it's your ability to catch the right wave because on days like what this forecast looks like a four foot wave is just so much clearly better than a two foot wave and you know the the judges the they're not counting turns or anything like that, but when you go to Hawaii, they, they definitely count size of wave, even if it is 
the difference between a two-foot wave and a four-foot wave, and, and the scoring opportunity is just so much stronger. So, yeah, it's going to be up to whoever can kind of grit their teeth and, and, and wait for those clearly superior waves because every single person in this draw is, is capable of doing a slash and a closeout turn. It's just what waves are going to be on. Yeah, and to your point too with the two and four foot thing, Haleiwa actually does have a point in which it changes its shape when it has enough water in it. And I think it is around that four foot mark. Before that, it's a really, really soft, slopey wave where it's basically going backwards. Like you're having to do cutbacks like back toward the other direction of the wave even to like stay on the wave versus when it actually has enough water in it to grip the reef, it bowls and it's just a completely different wave. So the difference between... A two-foot wave and a four-foot wave is often the difference between, you know, not like a six and a four, but an eight and a two or a three. Yeah, 100%. And uh, let's not even get started about a, a good left out there. Let's hope that let's hope that doesn't come into equation too much. That's when you get really desperate. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm sure there will be a few goofies. As usual, they're looking that way, and they'll, you know, they'll see a little bit of that air wind and maybe a ramp. And you can get a score. We've seen it before. Um, we've seen John John do a pretty good air out there. I think Cam Richards has done a few in the past to get some scores, but that's sort of got to be a last resort situation. You're in third or fourth priority. You need a four or a five. That's really the only time you should be looking that way. I think there's one surfer who'd be pretty stoked to see it. Uh, not that they don't charge, but just the fact that it might be small running lefts for a couple of days uh, is Alyssa Spencer. She's in sixth. Goofy footer, loves going left, crazy forehand. Um, she did amazing out there last year on her backhand, but I think that um, going backside on those little lefts is so hard. There's just not a lot of power in those waves, which is a funny thing to say about Hallie because it's probably the most powerful wave in the fucking world, 10-foot death rip bowl. Um, but, uh, yeah, I think that her position and where she's at, she just won the last event going left. And uh, I reckon that she'd be she'd be pretty excited about ripping a few Hallie Eva lifts. All right, so just to backtrack a little bit on the women's, we know that Macy Callahan, Molly Picklam, and Katie Simmers are all safe and confirmed for next year's CT. And as we mentioned in the last week's pod, Katie Simmers did accept, so she will be in the CT next year. We have Betty Lou Sakura Johnson in fourth, and she is a local girl and the defending champ at Haleiwa. She's also a good amount of points ahead of the fifth place surfer, who is Teresa Bonvelo, and I would say that it would take something pretty catastrophic to happen for Betty Lou to not hold on to her spot. It would mean somebody else doing really, really well and her obviously not bettering her situation, which seems fairly unlikely to me. But that fifth spot with Teresa, she is definitely going to be feeling the heat. So she's just a little bit ahead of Alyssa, as you mentioned. And as you said before, too, it's basically going to come down to who does better between the two of them. However, Teresa's dropping a bigger score than Alyssa is. So Alyssa doesn't even have to do one heat better than them. If they both make a quarter or a semi or a final and get you know a similar result, Alyssa will get the jump on her because she's dropping a lower number. And this is the age-old conundrum of, of going into Hawaii. Do you look at that and take it on board, or do you just put your head down and try and do your best surfing um, You know, regardless of that situation? Do you think it's even possible to avoid nowadays with instagram and everybody having such easy access to these numbers you know thanks to the wsl's website and instagram and just you know just chatter like i don't think you can avoid it so i think you just got to embrace it and if you're Alyssa, you said she likes going left she won the last event on lefts i think her backhand is 
easily one of the best female backhands, certainly on the Challenger Series. I haven't seen her on tour yet, so it's kind of hard to compare until you see her, you know, face-to-face against a Tati or a Caroline, but really, really strong backhand. So I think that she should be waiting out the back for those really good waves too, and two or three turns from her on a good Haleiva right is going to be an eight all day. I don't know. I think what you said there is you're kind of discounting yourself. Like, it's not that readily available to find. I mean, we're on the top shelf of surf nerdery, so it comes easy to us. But, like, the mums and dads of the world, like, if they're not from a surf background, like, they're not going to look at that and go, oh, you know, on adjusted ratings, you're actually ahead, if that makes sense. Like, once everyone makes two heats, the ratings actually change. And and the, the, the broadcast don't really say it because they've kind of got to save their backsides because, like you said, they don't want to do another San Francisco. So I actually don't think that bit of information is as readily available as saying like, oh, Alyssa Spencer needs a semi to qualify, when that might not necessarily be the case. Yeah, fair enough. But, I mean, if, it's, if you're asking me, I think Alyssa does it. I think she pulls it off. I even... I mean, we're going to get into this in a little bit, but I kind of see her as like a sneaky favorite to go back to back and just uh, make Maddie Myers give him the double-double. The double-double-double. The second time this year he's going to do the double. Well, isn't that the double-double? Mm, oh, yeah. Excuse me. <laughs> That's all right. You eat, a lot more in, you eat a lot more in and out than I do. I get my doubles confused. Um, so, sorry, just to backtrack a little bit, too, on Betty Lou. So, obviously, she didn't have the rookie season that she wanted or even that we expected. I know that I said I thought she was going to make the mid-year cut and that she was a superstar. And I still think that she totally has that in her. And, actually, we recently did an interview with her for a Vans Pipe Masters profile that I think really sheds some light on the way that she looks at the world and the way that she accepts loss and moves on from it. So let's cut to a little snippet there. Yes, I'd say I get to call him my mentor for sure. Kelly's like, he's actually messaged me like before comps and stuff. Even actually when I, at Margaret River, when I fell off tour, I was the last seat of the women's and he was like the first seat of the men's and he actually gave me a hug in the channel and I was bawling my eyes out, but it was like, whatever. But he was hugging me, but his heat had already started. Yeah, it, it was cool. I couldn't, I actually couldn't believe it. I, was like, I told him, like, your heat, <laughs> you have a heat to go out to. But um, he's like, yeah. So after Margaret River, after my heat came in, was confused, was crying. But my mom told me, it's like, what, what are you going to do? Like, make something that's going to do make you happy. And she convinced me, like, go surf the box. Like, go get barreled, you know? And... And that's exactly what I did. So to me, obviously, you know, she's she's young, but that's the sort of resilience that a champion is made by. Like, I, I don't know. I just think that I, I hear a story like that. And also you just see her surfing. And you, to me, she's got it all. So I want to see her back on tour. And again, Alyssa Spencer, I think she's looking good. But right behind her, we also have Bronte McCauley, Nikki Van Dyke and Sophie McCullough. They all need huge results to do it just because of how the numbers work out. I think they'd each need either a semi or a final for sure, especially with the the four-man heats that we have at Haleiva. So they're sort of long shots, um, and it's just yeah, it's, it's going to take a lot on the women's side to get over that cut line if you're not Alyssa Spencer. Yeah, I agree. I, I, obviously, there's a couple of good Aussie names in there, and I, I'd love them to you know get on tour, particularly Sophie, young young lady from the sunny coast. She'd be, you know... 
be so cool to see her on, but I just think that the gap's too big, and I think mathematically the only real chance for the women's side of the draw is is Alyssa Spencer, and just goes to show how how big of a year those top six have had. Um, they're a fair way in front of the, of the rest of that pack. Yep, and just to give a little context as well, as we mentioned, Alyssa got fifth at Haliva last year, Teresa got 17th, and Bronte and Nikki did not compete. Sophie McCullough got a 33rd. So everything's kind of leaning in Alyssa's favor. In that same way, I almost always, that almost gives me pause. It's like everything's lined up for this to happen, so of course it won't happen. That sort of just seems to be the nature of surfing, and somebody will come out of nowhere and do something unexpected. But if you're going with the statistics, I'm going with Alyssa. Yeah, you're right. There is one thing, though, that gives me sort of a good feeling about Alyssa Spencer's chances and that's the fact she has a slight knee injury. Now that might sound a little bit stupid to say that but I don't think there's anything more dangerous than a slightly uh, injured athlete going into a situation like this and the reason being is it blocks out or has the ability to just narrow your focus and, and just block out all that head noise and it kind of makes things a lot more straightforward um, you know you might be walking around at 80%, 75%, but it's still more than good enough to get the job done. And it kind of eliminates all those little worrying factors and you just focus on exactly what you can do and, and nothing else. And, and I think that um, you know having a little, a little injury like that at a time like this, it, it might not be the worst timing. Interesting. Well, yeah, there's levels of injuries, obviously. You know, if she's at 80%, that's probably a really, really good percent to be at because, as you said, you know, you can really just focus on what's at hand, taking off on every wave, squaring off the bottom, squaring off the top. You're not thinking about doing anything stupid. You're just thinking about driving and being as solid on your board as possible, which is often what gets results in Hawaii. So on that, I want to bring up a couple other names on the men's side who are I won't say long shots because technically I think they just need the same result as a Morgan Sibilic to get in or a, yeah, a few of the other guys. But Aton Osborne, as of now, he needs a quarter to get into the contention. And same goes for Jacob Wilcox. These are two guys who obviously we've done a lot of work with at Stab because they are that sort of different style of surfer. They're not just like QS guys, you know, they, they care about you know, charging crazy waves in Jacob's case or doing giant airs in Aton's case. And they're the type of surfers that can sort of go between the two things, you know, competition and free surfing. So we're going to definitely be keeping our eye out on them. Aton, complete wild card. He could flame out in the first round in a blaze of glory, or he could make it to the semis and surprise everyone and get on tour. So, um, yeah. And then Jacob, I think is a little bit more of a, a little bit more of like a consummate competitor. And he's been working really hard at this for a while and it's been a dream of his forever. And I know he's been close before. Um, Stacy, you have any insight into the sort of mindset Jacob would have coming into this event? Jacob was looking pretty relaxed at Tim McDonald's wedding the other evening. So I think he's feeling pretty good coming into this, uh, Hawaiian leg. He's, he's been there before. He had the heartbreak loss to Kelly a couple of seasons ago. And, um, I think a lot of guys that um, qualify, they, they kind of have that story of like almost getting it done, and that sort of gives them that sort of springboard into this moment. So I'm, I'm hoping that uh, he can get it done. I think he'd be someone that kind of rolls into those first two events as a serious, serious contender. Like for Jacob Wilcox to go pipeline into Sunset, <clears throat> we've seen him in, at Nalu, we've seen him at Margaret River. 
and you know he's he's pretty well custom built for those first two locations and getting onto Atan like that guy is so CT ready it's not even funny he is such a exciting surfer to watch and I think a contrasting style to kind of everything that we have on the tour at the moment. You obviously have got Ethan Ewing and Griffin Colapinto and all these young kids that just look like beautiful on the face. And Aton's so much rawer and just doesn't, you just kind of, you don't know what you're going to get out of him. And I bloody love that. Yeah, I was talking to him in, when we were in Indonesia for the uh, Stab Highway trip to Kandui. And we were just saying like, you know, do what you got to do to get you know, onto the CT, like grind out heats, freaking get fives and sixes, whatever you got to do. But once you get on the CT, like you just got to let your surfing loose. Cause I think one, the judges will reward it, especially if he's landing shit. And it would almost be like a disservice to himself and surf fans for him to go out and try to surf like Kanoa or Leo or Griffin. Cause it just, he wouldn't do it as well as them. And it would be you know, basically stripping all of the beauty out of his surfing, which is sort of like the ugliness and the craziness of it. Yeah, definitely. And, and for, for people like him and, and everything, they I, I don't know, you know I'm, I'm friendly enough with Aton, but I don't know exactly what he thinks about the world. But you just got to be happy with falling if you're someone like him. Similar to like what you said about Matthias Hurdy when he competes as a wild card. You kind of, you know he's going to roll the dice and you're going to have to think that in one of those chances he's going to you know, execute. And if they don't, so be it. Because like you said, they're not going to win surfing like someone else anyway. So it's, um, you know, and I'm not just talking about airs. Like, Aton is as mad as a cut snake. I've seen him, like, in front of the Billabong house for years as a kid, swing on 10-foot closeouts off the wall. Like, he's got shit wrong with him. So if he does make the tour and it rolls into pipeline... Don't be worried about him. He is fucking good to go. <laughs> yeah, I would agree. All right, so obviously keeping an eye on Aton, we I think you can say pretty safely that everybody in Stab is backing him pretty hard. Same goes for Jacob Wilcox. And, yeah, I mean, there's a few other names back here, but they're sort of all we've seen before. Michael Rodriguez is right there. Luca Messinas, Joan Derue, Alejo Muniz. Um, honestly, there's just not that many other true rookies that could be coming up above the CT qualification line. Obviously right now inside we have Dylan Moffat. He'd be a new name. And Joao Chianca is looking like he's poised to come back so long as nothing terrible happens in Haleiva. And Maxime Husino and Ian Gentile and Ramsey Bukayam are other true rookies that should they retain their spots will be on the CT next year. Yeah, I'd love to see Dylan Moffat do it. Um pretty cool story if, if he can kind of come out of nowhere and uh, and get the job done and it's going to be tricky though it's going into Halle Eva and 10th is um, yeah I don't know I'd be shitting bricks <laughs> yeah oh and I forgot to mention Rio Ida obviously would be a rookie so right now the top 10 has one two three four five true rookies in it should it stay the same and then like I said you've got Aton and Jacob Wilcox right below so Last year, we had a huge rookie class. This year coming, it looks like we could have another huge rookie class in the CT and some exciting names as well. So, um, Haleiva, I mean, the event itself may not be as exciting as you'd like on the waves front, but there's a lot of implications. And to uh, Elo's point, I think they're doing a pretty good job of building those you know, compelling storylines in terms of the competitions and what they lead to. You can't give Elo the Hawaii qualification storyline. It's the oldest storyline in surfing. 
<laughs> yeah, fair enough. Fuck that. I think they are doing a great job, though. I will give them that. I'm, I'm excited to tune in. And, and like I said, I think the Instagram looks great. You know, there'd be years where you tune in going into Hawaii and be like, oh, what does this person even need to do, even get close or, or whatever? And, and for them to be putting it out so early and, and grouping it up in nations as well, I think that was kind of cool. So, yeah, I, I definitely think they're doing a good job. But I'm not giving them that one, Mikey. All right. Well, Stacy, um, the event's going to start in just a few days, and we need to make some picks. So betonline.ag, for I believe the first time ever, has some odds up for Challenger Series. And it's just for right now, it's just the winners that you can pick. And if I'm being honest, the odds are pretty brutal, considering on the men's side, there are 96 people who could potentially win. And, you know, Leo's coming in at, I think, plus 350 or plus 450 or something like that which is three dollars fifty or four dollars fifty if you're in australia um so it's you definitely gotta be pretty clever if you're gonna pick a winner in a 96 person draw but if you had to pick one person stacy who would it be oh i really wanted to say ramsey bookheim but given this forecast i'm gonna go with jacob wilcox pretty pretty handy when it's small can go right and left oh I think it's his time. Time to roll. That's not even your... Because I was going to give you a dark horse pick as well. Are you sure you don't want to save him for the dark horse pick? He's not dark. Everyone knows who Jacob Wilcox is. Well, but there's dark at Haleiwa in the lead up to the you know the last event of the season where he needs a score to get through. There's a lot of weight on his shoulders. No, I'm going to go way, way down the line. Okay. Who's your dark horse? I actually don't know. <laughs> <laughs> you go. Tell me who your favorite is. Okay. My favorite, and again, like, uh, this is just, you know, a bit of a broken record, but I'm going Zeke Lau. I think in Hawaii, he's always the most dangerous person in the draw, so long as John John's not in it. Again, we haven't seen a heat draw yet, so there's a good chance that John John is in it. But I know Zeke Lau's going to be in it, and uh, I just can't look past him, even if it's only going to be head high. Yeah, he, he's he's one of those guys that is so happy to sit and wait for the best wave, whether it's a two-foot wave or a four-foot wave. He just He's not going to pull the trigger on a wave that isn't going to get, you know, him what he needs. And, and he's got such a good read on that place, whether it is, you know, small or big. And, yeah, you're, uh, you've done well there with that one, Mikey. Uh, as for my dark horse, um, I think, like, more of a dark horse would be someone like Dylan Moffat. I think he, I know he's higher on the ratings, but as far as like stature and, and, and sort of people knowing what he's up to, I'd say that he's he's a dark horse for sure. And uh, he comes from North Narrabeen. He's got a psycho backhand. So if there's any kind of days where it is small and he does need to get through some grindy little lefts, um, you know, I definitely think he'll be up there. Okay. All right. So... I wanted to go Mateus for my dark horse, but he's gotten second. He got second. second there when he was like 14. That's why yeah. I can't do it. But the, even though the waves are pretty good, for, I'd say he would do better out there in smaller surf than bigger. But for a true dark horse, I'm going Tim Biso. I love the way Tim surfs. I think he's like modern day Aki, you know, obviously not quite as iconic, but similar style, similar low center <laughs> of gravity. <laughs> One more time for the crowd. <laughs> <laughs> Tim Biso for the Dark Horse win. Any person that stands with their fucking right foot forward on a board is similar to Oki. It just blows my mind. (laughs) He's got the long hair. He's got he's he's relatively short and uh, he's he's got a bit of weight on him and he just he just plows through water. You know what it is? It actually it was when they had the event in what was it, Manly? I think it was Manly, and it was really small in the beginning. 
and he was getting so much more board in the water and somehow still getting more speed out of his board than other people, and it really reminded me of Aki in that way. Like, he was just driving through the water on a one-foot wave, and it just nobody else was doing that. Yeah, I, I think Tim's a fantastic surfer. He's fucking brilliant. He's a gr- great, great lad. He's been chipping away at it for a while now, and uh, as far as a dark horse is concerned, he's a, he's a, a brilliant dark horse. Oh, that's a great pick, Mikey, and uh, yeah. The boy from, uh, I believe, is from Guadalupe. That'd be huge. Huge win. All right. So that is our Holly Eva chat. Stacy, thank you very much. We'll be back on after the event caps on December 7th or thereabouts. And then we're straight into the Vans Pipe Masters. So hopefully the event ends before December 7th so we can have a little post-mortem on Holly Eva into a predictions on pipe. But, uh, yeah, anything else for us, Stace? No, I think that's it. Looking forward to it, Mikey. We'll be back on Friday with an actual episode of The Drop with Buck and myself talking about everything that happened this week in surfing. Over and out.